You're listening friends. to a live recording so from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. I'm Bo Stern Brady, Thanks for joining and us. I am the discipleship pastor. And uh, we've been looking for the last couple of weeks uh, at the fundamentals, the fundamentals of our faith. I think one, one word that I would use to describe our culture right now is chaotic. There is so much happening, and I'm a bit of a chaos connoisseur. Like, I want to know all about it, and so I research, and I look, and I figure it out, and I, I read all the reports and all the articles, and I watch all the news reports and all of that, and I read everybody's opinions about it. And I found myself recently really uh, feeling not just discouragement, but a bit of despair. Uh, this is a, a really difficult season from pandemics to politics. This is a hard, hard season in which to be a light in a really difficult world. And so I also am a truth person. One of my uh, mission statements in life is helping people know and love truth, capital T, truth. And so truth is something that's really important to me. And when I see an article or a headline or a, or a post on social media, I immediately kind of run it through this truth grid. What is, is that true or is it not? And I agonize over it and I study it out and I try to figure it out. And then I want to teach truth. I want to fix things. I want to make sure people know, hey, that's not true and that is true. And it, it can right now absorb all of your life trying to be a defender of everything you perceive as truth. And I remember one day just really feeling discouraged about where we're at in the world. And I, I just asked Jesus, what am I doing? And I felt him say, there's a lot of people defending truth right now. I want you to defend hope. Hope needs a voice right now. People need to know there's hope. And in order to be a defender of hope, you're going to have to stay out of the truth lane for a while. And so we're looking today at this word hope. We've been looking at the fundamentals. I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, trends in Christianity. There's a lot of things that come up and become flashy and churches grow big because of a certain message. Uh, prosperity gospel is a good example of that. I'd say social, social justice as a gospel is a good example. There's just a lot of things that come up fast and we attach to them or we attach to certain personalities inside of Christendom or we attach to great leaders or a new book. Lots of things are trendy and cool inside the community of faith. But what I found after 55 years of living is that no matter what, a lot of times things that are flashy are also a flash in the pan. And all roads lead back to the fundamentals. All roads lead back to the few things on which we truly can hang our hats. And so that's what, and it's a little bit like Mr. Miyagi, is it Mr. Miyagi in, in, in uh, Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Get the fundamentals right, and then you'll develop the flashy stuff down the road, but it'll be rooted in fundamentals. And I think we skip over fundamentals. We skip over the the stuff that's that's perceived as sort of everyday, routine, boring kind of stuff. And we make a mistake when we do it. When I was little uh, in grade school, this will also age me, my teacher kept me after school making me work on my penmanship 
over and over again. And I didn't get to write any words. I had to do loop, 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 circle, 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 circle. And I would like her to tell me, you know, you know kids don't even learn cursive anymore. It was a waste of time. But it taught me fundamentals. And my handwriting's pretty good. So I think that this is in our faith. We need to learn and stick to the fundamentals. What are those? So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at them. Pastor David looked at love. Pastor Evan looked at faith. Pastor Steve looked at gratitude. Those are certainly some of the core principles of what we are uh, supposed to live as believers, without which we, we may have a flashy life, but we won't have a solid one. And so today we're looking at hope. How do we find hope? It's such a wispy, mysterious kind of concept, I think. But these words to me, stay in your lane, have made all the difference in my life. Stay in the lane of hope. Every day I have to remind myself, my lane is hope. My lane is hope right now. I don't know that my lane will be hope forever in terms of the things that I speak and say and write. But right now, this is my lane. And so I've been looking at it. I haven't done it perfectly, but I've done it as consistently as I know how. And in the process, I've been asking myself a lot of questions about this word. What is hope? How do we get it? And how does it mix and mingle with faith? And how do I lose it? And what is it even good for if I have it? So we want to kind of dig into that today, this little four-letter word. How do we look and live a life of hope? Um, I want to start with a verse that that's quoted a lot more often than it's understood. I, we, we use it, we quote it, we cross-stitch it, but I don't know that a lot of people truly understand the depth and the substance of this verse. Pastor Evan did a great job on it two weeks ago, and he looked at it from the faith angle, but today we're going to look at it from the hope angle. And it says simply, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Other versions switch these words up a little, um, except the word hope never changes in this verse. It stays right there as the centerpiece, the axis of the verse is this word hope. Faith is the evidence of what we hope for. And while hope might seem like a wispy, nebulous kind of word, it's surrounded in this verse by this very solid scaffolding of words that are, are strong. Like faith is the evidence some translations say faith is the proof. Some say faith is the conviction of these things that are hoped for. So these things that are hoped for stand in the middle of a strong foundation of other words that hold it up. Because hope is the treasure. Hope is in the middle. And so it's the things we hope for. And I love this idea that hope, which feels so fragile, is supported by stuff that isn't fragile at all. Hope is really something that we can count on when the chips are down. So I, I recently spoke at a conference at Cannon Beach and it was a great weekend. It was fun to have the conference center opened up again for a, a brief moment of time. And, and, but it was a lot of sessions. It was a lot of speaking. It was a lot of praying with women. And by the end, I was happy but exhausted. And I was driving home to my house in Portland. And I was just excited to get home and get home to my husband. I'm still a newlywed. It's still fun for me to see him. And I turned the corner in our neighborhood. And I saw Cliff's car in the driveway. And my heart just did this 
this little jump. And not because I love his car, but because the car was the evidence that Cliff was home. And I was just so excited to see the evidence. That means Cliff is there. And when I went in the house, there was my favorite dinner cooking on the stove. Candles were lit. Music was playing because Cliff had prepared for me to get home. He had prepared for that because he, he knows me and he loves me. And all of these things were the evidence of that. It was the evidence of relationship because that dinner didn't cook itself and those candles didn't light themselves. They were done by someone who, who sees me and knows me and knows at the end of a teaching weekend, I feel really exhausted and I just want to sit around a wonderful meal with people I love. The thing is though, um, it wouldn't have been much if Cliff would have set all that up and then been like, enjoy, Bo, I'm going to be in my office working. Because the food and the candles and the music are not what I hope for. The food and the candles and the music are the evidence of what I hope for, which is a dynamic relationship with my beloved. And so that evidence, when shared with the one that I love, reminds me that I have something real in this world. I have something to hold on to. This is my marriage. This is the substance. And I could still be married to Cliff without the substance. But there would be these times when I would wonder, does he really love me? Does he really know me? And see, I think that's ultimately what we hope for because we wish for a lot of things and that's a different thing. We even wish for a lot of things from God. We can even ask for a lot of things from God. We can ask for a better job. We can ask for healing. We can ask for lots and lots of things. I think God loves it and invites us to ask him. But our ultimate hope is in, I think, three things. I think we are wired up to hope that God is near that he sees me, and that he loves me. I think our hope can be reduced to those three things because within those three things is every other thing. And so when I know, when I see this is the hope of it, our love story for Cliff and I, our love story is sitting around a table together. That's, that's what it is. This is how we became what we became is jo joining together around good food and good music and good conversation. That's the evidence of our love story. It's not, uh, it's not a ritual. It's not routine. It's not boring. It's not jumping through the hoops. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It's the actual substance of our relationship is us. And the evidence of it is all this stuff that we gather around. And I would say that, that the evidence, the primary evidence of our love story is our words. It's conversation. It's how we speak to each other and what we say to each other and how we invest in each other. And in order to live with hope in a hard world, we have to get really good at seeing the evidence of our relationship with an invisible God, which we have to. We have to be willing to say, what do I have with God? What do I know that I have? We have to see and acknowledge the things that point to his nearness, to his awareness of us, and his love for us. So many things point to his very real work in our lives, but they can be easy to miss. It is easy. It would be easy for me to miss the ways that Cliff loves me if the, if the dinner that he's made is not my favorite. Meh. 
He could have thought harder about that. He could have given me something else. But being able to see every bit of evidence as the fact that I am loved is a big deal. In fact, the older I get, the more I suspect that there is one true prize in all of life. Like there, especially in all of our spiritual lives, we look at lots of things, spiritual practice, knowing the Bible, um, church attendance, all of those things. In fact, you know, church attendance used to be way higher on the list when we could attend church. And now we're looking at it going, oh, wait, the, the fundamental of that? I guess God, hearing God still exists even when that very big piece of our relationship is taken out of it. And so I think the biggest prize in all of life is hearing the voice of God. That's the prize. That's the prize, and it's like a Russian nesting doll. All the other prizes are packaged up inside of it. Hearing God's voice is the prize that leads to all other things. And so how do you generally first know that a train is approaching? You hear it. You either hear it or you hear the thing go, the gate going down. And you know, oh, that's a train. Way before you see the train. If you're inside of the house and you're not looking out a window, how do you know it's windy? Because you hear it. The sound of something is the evidence that it exists. And the sound of God's voice is the evidence of what we hope for. Which is what? Knowing that God is near knowing that he sees us, and knowing that he loves us. I still will contend that those are the things that make up the realness of our faith. And our faith depends a large part on the conversations we do or do not have with him. And our faith will determine whether or not we can live in hope. So uh, how do we hear God's voice? Because I know lots of people will feel like I, I can't. And I'm going to make a statement, and I will stand by it till the day I die. Every human, every human, every single human can hear the voice of God. Every single human. You know why? Because it's, th this is why you've been created. If hearing the voice of God is the prize, that means that God loves to speak to us. What a terrible God to make hearing his voice a prize and then decide I don't really want to talk that much. He loves conversation with us. And so if our hope is built inside of being able to hear his voice, then I think it, it is important for us to know how. So there are a couple of distinct ways that we are able to hear God's voice. The first one is through his work. We hear the voice of God through his work. We hear it through the people around us. We hear it through nature. We hear it through creation. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. I think there are moments when I have heard God most clearly at the edge of the ocean. Just, I, I feel his majesty and his power and the bigness of him. And then I hear his small voice. And it's not audible, but it's real. It's powerful as I hear him through creation and I hear him through his nature. One of my favorite things at wintertime is to look at those blown up pictures of snowflakes and see the intricacy of a God who creates a snowflake with so much beauty and he doesn't even need to. It's just going to melt. Most of us aren't even going to notice it. But the infinite work of God is seen in nature. It's seen in creation. It's seen in the galaxies. It's seen in the sea. His work speaks to us. 
We look around and say, really, could all of this just be random? Could all of this just be happenstance? I don't think so. This is the work of an intelligent designer, not just an intelligent one, but a loving one. So we hear God through his work. We hear him through the people around us. Um, last night, my husband and I were blessed to have some time with friends of ours. And we went home saying, I, I feel closer to God after I'm with them than when I, before. I hear God through their love for us. Um, and then we hear God through his word. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So the scriptures are intended to give us hope and to connect us to hope. What is our hope? That God is near, that he sees us, and that he loves us. The scriptures are, are meant to help us hear his voice. And I think we've made a mistake in our lives by worshiping the word of God apart from the voice of God. I think whenever we bring the word and the voice of God together, then the Bible does for us what it's intended to do, which is connect us to the evidence of his love for us. But when we use the word of God to form rules, to form regulations, to hit somebody else over the head with it, when we read the word of God and we feel like there is no way I can ever measure up to this, when we feel farther from him than when we started, we're reading it wrong. And so I've started every day when I get my Bible out, I've started reading and then I write in my journal, all caps, listening. Okay, I'm listening. What do you want to say to me today? It was Ephesians 3, 17. And I said, what do you want to say to me today about being someone who is rooted in love? What does this mean to my life? What does this mean to my children? What does this mean to my legacy? What does this mean to my preaching at Westside this morning? How do you want to root me in love? I'm listening. I want to hear your voice through your word. Rather than just be a student of your word, I want to be a student of your voice. And how your voice comes through these words and these stories and these eyewitnesses to your presence and your character. That's what I want your word to be for me. This living dynamic document that speaks directly into my life, into my era, into America, into our church. I want to hear the word of God like that so that it connects me to the nearness of God who loves me and knows me. So no, hear God through his word. And then we hear God through the Holy Spirit. I love this. This is Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he extend, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice that Paul prays for the believers that you will hear him. That your eyes will understand him. That you will see the evidence of your relationship with him. Paul does not try to transfer his relationship to them. Paul does not say, listen to me and I'll tell you all about what it's like to follow Jesus. Paul said, I am praying for something supernatural to happen to you so that you will have ears that can hear his voice and know that he is what? Near, that he sees you, and that he loves you. 
As you can see him, as your heart begins to throw off all the chaos and confusion of the culture, as you eliminate all the stuff around you that wants to keep you from hearing his voice, then you will be connected to the Holy Spirit in a way that matters to only you. It will impact your world, but this is the fundamental. And if we start to go out in our world and want to do stuff without doing this first, we are often going to do a lot of damage instead of giving a lot of hope. Because people of hope give hope. And so we, it's incumbent on us as believers, especially right now in our divided, fighting, frustrated world, it is incumbent on us that we figure out how to have hope, that we figure out how to hear his voice so that we can move forward knowing that God is with us, for us, loves us, and is near to us. So, I love this idea of, of his voice being the prize, of his voice connecting us to hope. Because what it means is that if we clearly identify hearing God's voice as the prize, then we also can clearly identify what? The enemies. Because we're picking such stupid enemies right now. We really are. We pick all these enemies of the church, enemies of the faith. I'm fighting this. I'm fighting the government. I'm fighting my aunt or I'm fighting other doctrines or I'm fighting the, the, the enemy. The only real enemy other than the enemy, the capital E enemy, is anything that keeps me from hearing the voice of God. Anything. And so a couple of things are apt to do that in our life. The first one is busyness. Just busyness keeps me from hearing the voice of God. It keeps me from responding to him. It keeps me from stopping to listen. I did this. And, and, and with busyness, I would add in kind of frantic, panicky living. And even in this quiet, settled pandemic time, we can get really busy and frantic in our thoughts. Yesterday I had a situation where I, I responded to a conflict uh, immediately without stopping to listen. And this morning I've been playing out in my head all the results of that because I, I acted without stopping to listen. And, and busyness was the enemy in that moment. And now I'm going to have to do some damage control to get back to a place of hope because I didn't stop to listen. If you are exceedingly busy and not taking time to hear his voice, that is why you feel hopeless. That it, we have to have time to hear his voice. We have to live inside an unhurried soul. We can be a busy person, but live with an unhurried soul. Um, number two is listening to people talk about him and for him instead of listening to him. We set people up as our guru, as the voice piece of God, and I'll listen to them, and I'll listen to, and it's fine. It's fine to listen to people speak about God, teach about God, live their life, and, and show you about God, but it cannot take the place of listening to him. Listening about him, knowing about him, can lead us to a life of pride and a life where we're just thinking we've got it, but we've never gotten to know the actual him. I don't care really how many people say so many things about my husband. I want to know him. And then number three is substituting knowledge for knowing. And this would be like if I memorized the legal documents that got me married. Like if I, if I memorize all the legal language on, on my marriage certificate, so that tells me I'm being a good wife or tells me I'm really married. It doesn't matter what the certificate says. It matters that I really know my husband. We, we can easily substitute knowledge, studying the word and studying it at, 
just on the page without ever stopping to know the author of the word, to know what is he saying to me? What was he writing this for? What is this for in my life? And so knowing him is so much more important than knowing about him, than having all the right answers, but none of the real relationship. God's voice always points me to the evidence of his goodness rather than away from it, always. God's voice always makes me feel more loved and not less loved. Even if it's convicting, it still makes me feel more loved. God's voice always brings peace instead of chaos. So if faith is the evidence of the things we hope for, I want to make a suggestion today that the biggest and most glorious and most life-changing thing we can hope for is that we would clearly and consistently hear God's voice through all the noise of our culture and let his voice lead us to the evidence and let the evidence give us hope, unswerving, unshakable hope, which is an anchor for our souls. If our hope truly is that we will be seen and known and loved by him, then we can be certain we will always fight the right battles with our faith. We'll move the right mountains and we'll prioritize the right practices. So I've recently been challenged by my view of communion. I'm realizing that without even seeing it, I've, I've viewed it as perfunctory. Um, I've seen it as sort of a requirement that can so easily just become this routine thing. We pop in the cracker and the juice and it, and it's like, it would be just like sitting down with my husband around a table and not ever connecting, not ever speaking, not ever having a moment together. And, but this is the evidence. This is the evidence of, of what we love and who we love and the relationship that God poured his life out for. This is our, this is, this is dinner with him. He set up this beautiful sacrament, but I hate calling it a sacrament because it, it makes it dry, but it's this beautiful sacrament wherein we gather around and I hold in my hands the evidence of his love for us. So I'd like you to find the elements as the worship team sings, and then I'm going to come back and lead us through communion. Jesus, the Lamb of 
Last week was Thanksgiving and I read a lot about people who were sitting around tables of awkward conversation, people who are sitting at tables with people with whom they don't have good relationship and it's always awkward to sit at a table with someone you don't know loves you. And <clears throat> so with the bread in your hand, would you just take a moment and connect with Jesus and just let him speak to you about the condition of your relationship, the condition of your heart, and just listen to whatever he might say over you now. On the night before Jesus died, he gathered his disciples around a table. He could have chosen any symbol for us to mark his sacrifice, but he chose a table. And so today we gather around a table 
we gather here at the place of relationship. We gather here and we hold in our hands the evidence of his great unending love for us. Would you take the bread in your hands? Jesus, we give you thanks for love without end. We give you thanks for your body broken for us. We give you thanks that you were willing to lay down your life so that we could get to the Father. We give you thanks and we eat together now. In the same way, Jesus took the cup blessed it and he said this is my blood poured out for you this will be the evidence that I am for you I am for you I am for you take just a moment with the cup in your hand to truly let your spirit understand the gift of Jesus blood Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your life, for your sacrifice. We give you so much thanks as we drink together. God, you are good. And as we've shared this meal with you this morning, we ask God that you would continue throughout the day to speak, speak, speak to us. We're listening speak because we want to know you speak because we want to love you better speak because we need hope thank you for being our living hope in a world of death you are alive and you are hope in a world of chaos you are peace and you are hope in a world of hatred you are love and you are hope and so we plant our roots deep inside your hope today we anchor in we dig our heels into it and we say we will not be moved from the hope that you see us, you know us, and you love us without end. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning online. We're so glad that you were here, and we pray that you have the best week ever.